It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Uh, well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, Psalm 18, uh, or you can choose Psalm 91. So you have your choice, or you could do both. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to look at the name of God, <clears throat> this idea of the rock. Uh, it's sometimes also uh, seen as like the rock of refuge, the horn of salvation, the stronghold, my shield, my fortress. So I'm kind of combining all of these into one uh, study this, this morning. Uh, so we're really going to focus on the idea of the rock, <clears throat> but I'm going to kind of bring in some of the other ones uh, because these are also titles given to our precious Jesus. So technically, these are all names. But we're just going to combine them all. Sound good? Uh, <clears throat> I've walked this through with you guys, but for those who are just listening, uh, there's something really interesting about rocks in Israel. Uh, I was actually rather surprised the first time I ever went to Israel and was on a tour. Um, I was just dumbfounded by how many rocks are all over the place. Uh, it is like a very rocky ground. And just again, for kicks and giggles, here's some photos. Right? But when you look at the landscape of Israel, what you find is that there are, they're not just rocks, there are like rocks, like all over the place. This is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's just, there's just rocks everywhere. In fact, the farmers say that uh, they grow rocks better than anything else in Israel uh, because, you know, in the farming, you know, they're tilling the ground, and for whatever reason, every year there's just more rocks. It is a very rocky ground. And I don't think it's by accident. I think when, you know, when God is literally creating the world and he's, he's putting things in order and he's choosing this little spot of ground for his promised land, I think it is profoundly purposeful that God puts all these rocks in this land called Israel. And I think one of the reasons is, is because what you see in scripture is this idea that our God is a rock. And what an incredible reminder, just as you're living life, you know, you're out farming or you're, you're walking down the street and all you see all over the place are these reminders of the steadfast nature and character of our God. And so there's this idea <clears throat> that is really replete throughout the Old Testament specifically, but it flows even in the New Testament. It's this idea that God is our rock. And so here's just the idea. Rocks are a symbol and a reminder of where you find your foundation, your strength, your immovability, your defense, your means of safety, your protection, and your refuge. In other words, when we say that God is our rock, we are saying that he is our foundation. He is our strength. He is uh, that which keeps us immovable. He, he is our defense. He is our safety. He's our protection. He is our refuge. All, all of that is associated with this idea of our God being a rock, which is just phenomenal. Uh, here's what one author said about this idea of rock. I just lo- like the statement. Uh, Anne Spangler says this, what better word than rock to represent God's permanence, his protection, and his enduring faithfulness? When you pray to the Lord your rock, you are praying to the God who can always be counted on. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Probably one of the best passages that really illuminate this uh, is Psalm 18. So in Psalm 18, verse 1 through 3, listen to what David writes. This is phenomenal. He says, I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon Yahweh who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Do you notice how many times this idea of strength or rock or deliverer or salvation or refuge is mentioned in, this, in these three verses? It's like, it's just over and over and over again. The psalmist is saying, hey, do you know who your God is? Do, do you know who my God is? My God is stable. My God is the foundation. My God is the refuge. My God is the deliverer. My, my God is the, the rock. Uh, here's what one scholar said about this passage. I just thought this was neat. He says the names, the rock, the refuge, the deliverer, the fortress, all those things, the names reflect two themes, though each is closely related to the other. One theme is military. In other words, God is a deliverer, a shield, a safe retreat. And the other invokes the rocky wilderness, which was for so long a part of David's experience. In other words, God is a cliff, a stronghold, and a rock. And it was in the wilderness that David in his military campaigns experienced God's intimate presence. Isn't that a neat reminder? <clears throat> that when David is talking about the fact that his God is a rock, right? There, there is a military imagery that's being used. But it is also a reminder that it is the place of safety and a refuge. But all of it is a reminder that it is the place where God's intimate presence dwelt, where he was there with us. That, that in the midst of us running from Saul or in the midst of the battles, that, that God's intimate presence was right there. Wouldn't it be neat if we saw God as our rock, as our refuge, as our fortress, as our deliverer, as our horn of salvation? That, that it is a reminder that, that he is our strength and that he is, he is the military guard that really surrounds our lives. And yet it is also a reminder when, when we see the fact that he is a rock, that it is a symbolic reality or reminder that, that it is his intimate presence that goes with us. I love that idea. Uh, here's what Ann Spengler said again about that, just all of those pictures. <clears throat> and maybe this will just kind of help. She says, God is our refuge. He is pictured as one to whom we can run for safety and security. The word refuge also appears in the Hebrew scriptures in connection to Israel's city of refuge, where people could flee for safety if they had accidentally killed someone. And these cities were strategically located so that anyone in Israel was within a day's journey of one. He is a shield of protecting care. Ancient shields were often made of layered cowhide and were used in situations of close combat, as well as to protect soldiers from rocks hurled from city walls. In biblical times, some cities were enclosed by walls 25 feet high and 15 to 25 feet thick. Farmers worked in the fields by day, and then they retreated within the city walls at night for protection. Large fortified cities also contained strongholds or strong towers that provided additional defense should the city's outer walls be breached. Like the other terms already mentioned, God is compared to a fortress and a strong tower. And that just, that is encouraging to me. And I understand that we don't live in a day where we have to have city walls, right? In other words, I don't live in a city that has walls around it. My guess is you don't either. And yet the imagery is really important, especially in the ancient days, where this was your means of security. This was your means of rest. This was your means of refuge. This, this was the place where, where you found the security and salvation for your life. And what if we began to realize that even though we don't live in physical cities like this, spiritually, that is our God. That we have a refuge. We have a shield. We have a fortress. We have a strong tower. He is our horn of salvation the very place that we seek our refuge and security and safety. 
I love this idea. In Scripture, the only person who is ever given the title rock is God himself. In other words, no human is ever called a rock. And I think that becomes super important as we come into the New Testament because Jesus, who is the rock, which we're going to look at, looks at Peter and says, oh, you, Peter, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock, and upon you, I'm going to build the church. No, no, he says, on the rock, I'll build my church. And it's an interesting statement when you look at that, and we've looked at this as students, but when you go to the Caesarea Philippi passage, and again, the whole context and the whole geography is super important in light of that, in light of that passage, but do you realize what Jesus is calling Peter is that he is not the foundation on which the church is being built, though there are groups who argue that. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying there is a rock upon which the church is built, which is himself. Well, then why, why does Jesus call Peter a rock? It's not a rock in the sense of what you think a rock is. The word for Peter means little tiny pebble. In fact, in Ephesians, you are called little pebbles. Like you, you are a rock that he's using to build, build this building called the church. But he is the chief cornerstone. Does that make any sense? And I think that is super significant because if you can imagine the trajectory all throughout the Old Testament, God is a rock, God is a rock, God is a rock, God is a rock. And in the New Testament, what do we see? Jesus is a rock, Jesus is a rock. So it seems strange that suddenly Peter is now the rock. No, he's not. Because there is no human that is given this title. This is a title reserved for God and God alone. Now, Peter is a little tiny pebble. Just like you are being built up into this building called, uh, building called the church. Does that make any sense? So, so please don't get confused. But the scripture is very strong on this idea that God and God alone is the rock. So let me give you a couple passages that I think may help. Make sense? So Deuteronomy 32. It says, For I proclaim the name of Yahweh, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. Isn't that awesome? His name is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. 2 Samuel 22, David says, And David spoke to Yahweh the words of the song in the day that Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And David said, Yahweh is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon Yahweh who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 18 verse 2, Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, I know I read that a little bit earlier. Yes, sir. Sorry, um, is that a different word when he uses the, the rock for Peter and the rock for God? Yes. So for those who are listening on the podcast, uh, the, the word for rock that Jesus uses for Peter, uh, Petros, is different than the word that he uses for rock, which is Petra. So it's very two distinct words. So Jesus in the Caesarea Philippi thing says, hey, there's a rock. But then he looks at Peter and says, but you're a pebble. So it's two very distinct uh, terms in the Greek. Good question. Thank you. In, in Psalm 18, in this phenomenal, I, I know I read it just a few minutes ago. 
I want you to see a progression. Psalm 18 builds on this idea of God being a rock, and just it keeps, keeps going. So look at this. In, in verse 2, Yahweh is a rock. And then he says, God is the rock. And then he says in verse 31, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? So David's declaring God is a rock. God is a rock. Then there, hey, who else would be a rock besides our God? And then he gets into verse 46, and he says, Yahweh lives, and blessed be that rock. There's a really neat progression in this, if you want to study it out. And let the God of my salvation be lifted high. Look at Psalm 62, verse 2. Surely he is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Or Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, calm, let us sing for joy to Yahweh. Let us make a loud shout to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2. Those who trust in Yahweh are as Mount Zion, which will not be shaken, but will abide forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so Yahweh surrounds his people from now until forever. What is he? He's a rock. He's unshakable. He's unmovable. Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be Yahweh, my rock. Or look at this. I love Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in Yahweh forever, for in Yah, Yahweh himself, we have an everlasting rock. Do you know who our God is? He is the everlasting rock. He is that horn of salvation. He is that fortress. He is that high tower. He is our rock. Now you realize all of that culminates and gets to the New Testament where Jesus himself is declared as the rock. That Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, that Jesus has come. And so if God is the rock, well, then surely Jesus then would be the rock. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, <clears throat> uh, Paul is talking about the fact that in the, that in the wilderness, they were wandering the wilderness and, hey, they needed water, right? So Moses hits the rock and water gushes out. And Paul says, do you know what that rock was that followed them in, in the wilderness? Do you know what that rock was that supplied them of the water? This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them. And that rock was Christ. And he says, look, I, I know there was a physical rock in, in, in the wilderness that literally gushed out water, but do you know what that rock is a picture of? Jesus that sends forth endless gushers of living water. Or, or look at what Ephesians 2, 20 says. Paul says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, He's talking about the church. But then he says this, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that, that he, yeah, yeah, there's little bricks all in the church that make up the church, and you're going to be one of those little stones. Woo, aren't you excited? But do you know what Jesus is? He's the cornerstone. He's that massive rock that gives the foundation, that, that gives the, uh, the boundary, that, that gives the security to the building. Jesus is the rock. He's the chief cornerstone. Or look what Peter says. Peter picks up that same theme of the cornerstone and says, coming to Jesus as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men. Isn't that a neat picture of Jesus? He is a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the scripture. 
Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes upon him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter says, do you know what the Old Testament was talking about when he talked about the cornerstone or the rock of offense? Do you know who that's referring to? Jesus. That Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. I find it really fascinating when you come into the Gospels. It says this. Uh, there are some questions about Jesus, about the fact of you know, who is he and why is he doing all these miracles. And these people were asking the question, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his, Mary Mar- Sorry, is not his mother Mary and his brothers James and jo- Joseph and Simon and Judas? And Jesus... Jesus is like, well, sorry, let me say this. The people were accusing Jesus. Who does he think he is? He's a carpenter's son. Now, do you know how brilliant that is in the whole schematic of God? The fact that Jesus, adopted by Joseph, right? So born in Mary, adopted by Joseph. He was a carpenter's son. Now, again, when, when I hear the word carpenter, uh, my dad's a carpenter. He has a wood shop. He builds things with wood. In fact, He's, he has a whole barn full of wood. My dad is a wood fanatic. He, in fact, my dad loves to cut wood just so he can smell it. I mean, he's just, he's like, oh, is that a good piece of wood? You know, it's like, yes, yes, dad, that's, that's wonderful. You know, and I'm sure if there's a potpourri called wood, uh, I would buy it for my dad. Because uh, it would just, oh. So that's my mental image when I think of a carpenter. But that's not this word. And when you get into this idea of Joseph and and Jesus, right, as he was growing up, he was taking on this trade called a carpenter. But the word in the Greek is tekton, which doesn't just mean like a person who works with wood. It means a stonemason, or it it means this idea of an architect or a craftsman. And this should make sense. When you go to Israel, there are trees, but there's not a lot of trees. It's not a forest, right? It's more deserty. And so you, you want to keep the trees that you have around. And so because there's all those rocks everywhere, what, how do you build houses? Well, you build houses out of stone. Uh, so here's some ruins. I think this is in Chorazin, which is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, right? There's all these ruins of, of houses. What are they made out of? They're, they're made out of rock, right? Th- this, is, this is a typical inside of a house, right? It's made out of rock, not wood, which is why they, they're still standing even from the time of Jesus, some of the ruins. <clears throat> so think about this. Jesus who is the rock, right? He is Yahweh, the rock. And as he comes to earth, what profession does his dad, his adopted dad just happen to be? A stonemason. And what is Jesus doing all all growing up? He's playing with rocks. He's an architect. He's a stonemason. He's a craftsman in rock. And if you take all of that, it's actually really neat when you come to these passages like what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, where Paul says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Could you imagine this? Jesus, who is the rock, Paul says, do you know what he was doing in creation? He was literally architecting creation. And just as he had a human profession as a stonemason, and he was an architect building those kind of things, 
Do you know what God was doing in the creation scene in Genesis? Jesus was speaking creation into existence. And just as he was working with human hands, you know, on planet Earth, working with stones, so too in the eternals, God is speaking creation into existence and he's forming and crafting like an architect the heavens and the earth. There is, there's some neat layers of pondering in that. That Jesus, who is the rock, works with rocks, speaks forth creation like, like an architect. Why? He is a rock. Isn't that phenomenal? I just, just, that is just some fun things to think through. So I want to give you some quick practicals. There is this idea that Jesus is the rock, that he's the fortress, that he's the high tower, that he's the, he's the refuge, right? There, there's the, those kind of terminologies giving as titles and names to our precious Savior. Jesus comes in the flesh, and he is the rock. So let me give you five ideas as an outflow of all this. If Jesus is the rock, and if you're, did you ever sing that song as a little kid? Jesus is the rock, and he rolls my blues away. Bop, sha, bop, sha, bop, whoo. No, apparently not. <laughs> For some reason, I got stuck in my head this morning. I was like doing stuff on the computer, working on the, working on the keynote. And then I was like going to get some water and I, and I was somehow humming. I have not heard the song since I was a kid. It's like, Jesus is a rock. And I was like, where did this come from? <clears throat> anyway, uh, five ideas. I don't know where that came from either. Uh, but five ideas. If Jesus is the rock, what does that mean practically for us? Five ideas. Number one, Jesus is my protection, safety, and my salvation. Do you realize that if he is a rock, if he's that place of refuge, if he's that strong tower, if he's the fortress, then that means that he is my protection, that he is my safety, that he is my salvation and security. I want to read Psalm 91 because the psalmist just really fleshes this out in a beautiful way. So here's, here's what Psalm 91 says. He who abides in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to Yahweh, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the destructive pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will take refuge. His truth is a large shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of terror by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that moves in darkness or of destruction that devastates at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made Yahweh, my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you and no plague will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the fierce lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. And then I love how the end of the Psalm 91 shifts, and now God is speaking. So it's like the psalmist is declaring who God is, and then these last couple of verses, God is declaring himself. And he says this, because he has loved me, in other words, because you, O people, have loved me, Therefore, I will protect him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That when we know his name, his character, and his nature, <clears throat> he will protect us. He will set us securely on high. God goes on and says, He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in his distress. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Isn't that an incredible thought? 
That as you work through Psalm 91, God says, you know who I am? I am your abiding place. I am your refuge. I am your rock. I am your security. I am your safety. I find your refuge in me and I will be your salvation. I will protect you. I've read this a couple of times now, but look at Psalm 18 again. David says, I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon Yahweh who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 62 says, Surely my soul waits in silence for God. From him is my salvation. Surely he is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. What if we realized that that was Jesus? That, that he is that rock, that he is a refuge. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And I've talked about this in the past, but that word be strong, it's in the passive, which means that I'm to receive his strength. So this is not me grip my teeth and produce strength. This is not me try to flex my muscles and be strong in the day of battle. This is, what if Jesus was my rock? What if he was my fortress and I actually allowed his strength to be given to me? In other words, if, if, I'm, if there's an enemy chasing me, I, I run into some castle. Why? Because it's a fortress. And I allow the strength of the castle to actually defend my life. I, I allow the arrows not to hit me. I allow it to hit the wall of the castle. Why? Because it's my fortress. It's my refuge. It's my safety. It's my security. Paul says, what if you allowed Jesus to do that in your life? What if you'd allow the strength of the Lord to literally come upon you, that you would live in the might of his strength, and you would actually put on his armor, which is what? Jesus. That he is my helmet of salvation, because he is salvation. That he is my breastplate of righteousness, because he is righteousness itself. That, that he is my belt of truth. Why? Because he is the truth. He is the shoes of peace. Why? Because he is peace, as Ephesians 2.14 says. That, that when you look at the armor of God, it's not some little kid's costume. Like we've dumbed this thing down. We're like, oh, isn't this cute? You know, like, and we have the little plastic things that we run around with. Actually, we are in a battle. Well, how are we going to survive the battle? We're going to have to find safety and security and refuge in something. Well, what are we going to find a refuge in? What is our safety and our security? Jesus. He is that armor. So if I may expand the passage a little bit, this is the NRJ expanded and amplified edition. Based on the grammar, this is, this is what Paul is saying. Finally, receive the strength of Jesus Christ and the might of his strength. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the full armor of God. Do you realize that's, that's what Paul's telling us? Don't march into this battle on your own. Don't, don't fight in your own strength or your own wisdom. Well, what, what, what should I do? Put on Jesus. Let him be your strength. Let him be your security. Let him be your fortress and rock and high tower. And as you go live your life, hey, we don't fight a physical battle. Our, our battle's against not flesh and blood, but against the principalities, powers, minds, and dominions, right, in, in the heavenly realms. <clears throat> but do you realize that you are to always be clothed in Christ Jesus? 
that, that he, you are always to find your safety and security, your refuge in this high tower, in this defense, the rock, who is Christ Jesus himself. Number two, there's this idea that Jesus is my refuge, my retreat, and my rest. I like alliteration. So all the R's really made me smile this morning. So Jesus is my refuge, my retreat, and my rest. Listen to Psalm 9, verse 9. The Amplified says it this way, Yahweh also will be a refuge and a high tower for the oppressed, a refuge and a stronghold in times of trouble. Here's what one commentator said about this passage. I love this idea of the refuge, high tower, stronghold thing. He says, the Lord God is their refuge and stronghold in times of trouble. The word used twice in Psalm 9-9 and translated both refuge and stronghold, get this, it suggests security and protection in a high, safe place of retreat. It is one of several words used in the Psalms to speak of security and safety in God. It is translated stronghold in several different passages and fortress and others. Another Hebrew word translated refuge in the Psalms means shelter from danger. Still another word translated refuge means a place to flee to. So knowing of God's security and protection, his own can trust him. Do you realize that this idea of the rock and the refuge gives this idea of a place of rest? It's a place of refuge. It's a place where you can just go, why? Because he's my protection. Wouldn't it be neat if Jesus was that in our life? Uh, I was studying through Psalm, or sorry, Philippians chapter 4 a couple years ago. And verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the word there, guard, is, is fascinating. It literally means like a sentinel of your soul. It literally means to put up a military garrison <clears throat> around something. Uh, in other words, if we knew that a, a, an enemy was coming, what would we do? We would take our army and we would set them up on the wall. Right, that they would literally protect and defend the city. So Paul says, do you know what Jesus is going to do? Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2.14. He doesn't give us peace. He is our peace. So what is Jesus going to do? Jesus, this is so phenomenal to me. Jesus wants to be the sentinel of your soul and literally guard your heart and mind. And I don't know about you, but in the days in which we live and all the darkness and all the cultural stuff, do you realize we need Jesus to be the sentinel of our soul and guard our heart and our mind? And the language that I was using when I was working through this passage is what would it look like if Jesus became your island of tranquility, your island of peace amidst the ocean of turmoil? It's not a removal of circumstance. The fact that Jesus is our peace and the fact that he's going to guard your heart and mind doesn't mean he's going to change your circumstances. You may be still be in the middle of all your circumstances. You might be in the middle of an ocean of turmoil with all the waves and, and all the winds crashing and blowing. And, but do you realize that in Jesus, who is your peace, you can literally be an island, have an island of tranquility, literally be in an island of peace amidst the oceans of turmoil. Wouldn't it be neat if you had that in Jesus? That you could actually just rest in the reality of Christ in your life, that he became a respite, that he became a refuge. He became a place of ref, rest amidst all that is going on. Yeah, you got to deal with whatever's going on. You still got to deal with circumstances. But wouldn't it be phenomenal if he could be your hope, he could be your rest, he could be your refuge, and there's a genuine peace that you begin to experience where you just go, all right, 
I can trust him. This is good. I don't know about you, but I think we need that. Maybe you don't need that. I need that. Uh, Number three is this idea that with God being a rock, Jesus is a rock, that is a reminder of his enduring faithfulness. So interesting to me that one of the most repeated commands in the Old Testament. Uh, one is to you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that, that is a passage that's repeated over and over. But one of the other commands that is repeated over and over and over is don't forget. Remember. Isn't it interesting that God has to remind us to remember? I don't know about you, you, I've always had these experiences where it's like, that was incredible. I will never forget that in my whole life. And you go back, you know, maybe two weeks, you know, from that point, you're like, what was that? That was really, that was a neat experience. What, what was that thing? And you're trying to like, you're trying to grip it. Do you realize that we are prone to forgetfulness? And over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, God says, remember, don't forget, don't forget. Don't forget. And one of the ways that God will leverage this in the Old Testament is he says, build stones of remembrance. Think about that. There are rocks of remembrance. That, That as I'm walking down the road, I see this pile of rocks and I'm like, hark, there's something going on here. And the pile of rocks is actually to stimulate a reminder of something. Uh, one of the things I began to do because of this is that when I, when I travel to Israel and I take groups over there to Israel, uh, anytime I go to a new location, anytime I go to a new city or a new location or a new spot that I've never been to before, um, I, my, my favorite souvenir from Israel are rocks. I, I figured they got a lot. I can take a couple of them. And, uh, and I had permission, so it's okay. I'm not stealing. Just thought I'd clarify. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, what? <clears throat> But it's interesting that, and they're free, so this really works with my, my budget. Uh, and I love the little olive wood stores. I like getting some, you know, like some piece of olive wood thing. But there's something really profound to me about going to a location and getting a rock. And so if you come over to my house, I have a jar and I have them numbered so I know where they're all from. So when, I, when I'm traveling around, I just, I, I'll take a Sharpie and I'll put a, I'll put a number on it just so I, I have a mental thing. And I'll write down the number and, and, and make, make a note. But I, I have, this is my rock from Chorazin. Uh, this is my rock from the Sea of Galilee. This, this is my rock from Jerusalem. This, this is my rock from, from Hebron. Th- this is my rock from Beersheba. Th- th- this is my rock. And, and I just have a jar full of rocks. And it is a reminder when I see the jar of just all these experiences, these, these, you know, these opportunities that I had you know, with students and studying God's word on location. It is like those start flooding back to me. It's like, oh, I remember that one time I was trying to grab a rock and I couldn't get it out. And, and da, 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 you know, and, and then, you know, I remember that time we we're all at the Valley of Elah where, where David slew Goliath and we're all digging in the dirt trying to find a good rock, right? And Mariah, I don't know where Mariah is at, but Mariah found the rock that David slew Goliath. It was amazing. <laughs> she can't prove that, but she, that was her conclusion. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Uh, it, was, it was only about this big, by the way. It was Anyway, uh, it's interesting that in Scripture, that rock of remembrance or that pile of stones was a physical expression, a reminder 
of don't forget God's goodness and faithfulness. Don't forget what God has done. Let me just give you two passages. Joshua 4, they're crossing the Jordan River, coming into the promised land. And Joshua said to them, cross again before the ark of Yahweh, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you carry a stone on his shoulder. So he's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, in order that this would be a sign among you. So, get this, so that when your children ask later saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of Yahweh, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So, here's the punchline, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. And they just put a big pile of these 12 stones on, on the, the bank of the Jordan River so that years into the future, when they would cross and they would see these stones, the kids are like, what are those? Why, why did someone build a pile of stones? Oh, let me tell you the story. God was so faithful. He brought us out of Egypt, led us through the wilderness, and God literally opened up the waters, not just at the Red Sea. He opened the waters of the Jordan so that we could cross over into the promised land. Our God is faithful. Let's not forget it. Uh, in the book of Samuel, Samuel took a stone and set it before Mizpah and Shin, and he called it Ebenezer. I never really liked the term, right? There's that, the old hymn, let's raise our Ebenezer. I'm like, what is that? And why did he call it Ebenezer? Because Yahweh has helped us. And Ezer, by the way, means helper or a help. So an Ebenezer is this idea, it was a memorial stone that says, ah, oh, do you know what God was? God helped us. So when we saw the stone, we said, wow, do you, do you know God is faithful? That, that his, his faithfulness endures forever, that, that he is always good. Wouldn't it be neat to realize that Jesus is that in your life? That, that he is a reminder of God's enduring faithfulness to you? And, and just as rocks were symbolic and a reminder to remember, wouldn't it be neat if you had that in your life? That there was this constant remembering of his faithfulness and goodness in your life. And the fact that he is a rock is a reminder to you that he is good, that he is faithful, that his loving kindness endures forever. Number four, the fact that he's a rock reminds us that Jesus is the supply and the sustenance for survival or for life. Again, it goes back to that scene in, in Exodus chapter 17 where all, of Israelite, all the Israelites are complaining because they're about to die of thirst and they're, they're desperate for water and, and how, how are we going to make it? And, and so God has Moses hit the rock and, and, and the rock starts spouting out water. Do you realize that that rock in the wilderness was the supply and the sustenance for their life? It literally gave them that which was needed for their survival. And again, I've read this earlier, but Paul said very specifically about that rock that spouted out the living water that the Israelites needed is that that rock was Christ. Do you realize that Jesus being our rock is our supply and our sustenance for survival? That he doesn't just merely give us life, he is life itself. That he is the living water that we so desperately need. Or as Peter says, he's everything we need for life and godliness. Would you actually embrace him as your rock, which is going to give you everything that you need for supply and sustenance and survival? That we need Jesus for life and for godliness. And one final idea. 
is this idea, number five, that Jesus and his word is the foundation for our life. I'm going to read a passage, but I need to set it up for you so you can understand how the cultural and the geography really helps us understand this. Uh, In Israel, there's a bunch of things that we call wadis. And a wadi in Israel is basically this deep uh, ravine or or this deep cavern uh, out in the wilderness. So out on the backside of Jerusalem, out near the Dead Sea, there's all these deep caverns, right? So in Gedi is one of those kind of places. And a wadi is basically that, that deep gorge that goes through the wilderness rock. And what ends up happening is it is a desert and it is a wilderness, right? It, it's a very barren place with very little water. But they do get some rain. And when the rain does come, the rain will literally flow into these crevices, into these ravines, and literally create flash floods. So these wadis, if you can imagine this, are... are if you're down in the bottom, man, it's, it's easy. Uh, there's a lot of resource down in the bottom, and there's, it's easy to build stuff. But the danger is if you build down on the bottom of the wadi and the rains come, you literally have these flash floods, and they literally just sweep everything away. In fact, uh, here are some pictures. Uh, you'll notice on the bottom left one, uh, that, that's a car. Uh, the, the middle one on the bottom is, this, is a huge movement of water, and it's literally taking out roads. Uh, there's been a couple seasons, if, you're, if you go to Israel in the springtime, it's the season of the rain, and you have to be careful, if you, you have to pay attention to the weather, because like going to En Gedi, En Gedi's one of my favorite places, it's up, it's up in one of those cravine, uh, ravines, and it's, just, it's a gorgeous location, but if it starts to even just sprinkle, they will not let you in, they'll force you out, why? Because if it actually starts to rain, all, there's nowhere for the water to go, it just all dumps into these ravines, and it creates these flash floods in the middle of the wadis. And there's been times where, you know, a bus will be, you know, going across the road, the water will calm, and it'll, it'll flip the bus. It's a massive movement of water. Uh, the same thing happens, like, down in, like, Arizona, uh, southern Utah, you know, like, those, those kind of places, right? Some of those hiking, gorgeous hikes, and yet you have to be super careful in the rainy season because there's great threat for flash floods. So these are wadis. That make sense? Now, I'm going to read you a passage. And this is what Jesus is referring to. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, pause. The rock that he's referring to is the top of those ravines. You're literally building on the top of these these cliffs. If you're at the top of a cliff, do you realize that there is actually safety and security and refuge and there is a foundation for your house to be built? And when the rains come, there's no threat. He goes on and says, And the rain descended, and the rivers came, and the winds blew and fell against that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. Listen to this. And everyone hearing these words of mine and not doing them may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the bottom of those wadis. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Interesting to me that both of these characters heard the word of Jesus. But one heard and obeyed, the other one heard and did nothing. It's not enough merely to hear. And we live in a generation that looks at the word of God and says, oh, this is flexible. Uh, One author called it a trampoline. 
that based on culture and, and based on what's going on in cult, you know, like the cultural things, this can shift and morph and change based on our preferences and, and culture. Uh, no. This is not a trampoline. Do you realize that God is a rock and his word is steadfast and sure? This is a rock. That just as God is a rock, so too is his word. And Jesus, ponder this, Jesus says, if you build your life upon this word of mine, that, I'm, that God is declaring, that you'll actually be safe and secure even when the torrents of rain come. Do you know how easy it is to build in the bottom of a wadi? So much easier. Because, you know, things fall down into the ravine. So you have, you know, have some rocks, you have some wood, you can build stuff down there. You don't have to climb the cliff. It is so much easier to build on the bottom. But Jesus says, that's dumb. Because when the rains do come, and they will come, if you're at the bottom of that ravine, it will be destroyed. And Jesus says, so too for all those who hear my word and don't obey it. So do you realize that Jesus and his word becomes the foundation for your life? That he is the rock. That, that he is immovable, that he is unshakable, and I, and I need to build my life upon him and his word. Do you recognize that God is a rock? And he is that place that you need to seek refuge and safety and security and hope and rest from. And we live in crazy days. We live in very crazy days. But do you realize that you can actually live unshakable? You can actually live immovable. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be pushed around. You actually have a foundation, a rock, that your life can be built upon. His name is Jesus. What would it look like if Jesus became your rock? What, what if you began to find your safety in him? What if you began to find your refuge in him? What if you began to find your rest in him? What if your hope and your peace was found in him? What if you began to realize that the only place of a fortress, the only place in the middle for, for defense, the, the only place that you're, you're ever going to find salvation, the only place is the rock of Christ. And folks, he's not changing. He's stable. He's not a trampoline. He's trustworthy. He's a rock. He doesn't shake. He doesn't move. Build your life upon him and his word. And would you allow the reality of God being a rock be the, be the same reality of him being that in your life? We need that, folks. Well, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we do need you. Uh, not as an add-on to our life. Lord, we need to build our lives upon you. Lord, would you, would you be our security and our safety and our refuge, our rest, our hope? Lord, would you be the foundation? Would you be the supply and the sustenance? Lord, would you remind us the fact that you are the rock? Would you remind us of your enduring faithfulness? Would you be that pile of stones in our life that through your spirit, we're constantly turning our gaze heaven, we're going, wow, you are so good. You are so faithful. Lord, would you let us or remind us that that we don't have to be pushed around by the culture, that, that we don't have to uh, succumb to the defeat of, uh, of addiction or whatever it may be. Why? Because we can actually find our safety and security in you, that you are the armor that we put upon, that you are that refuge and fortress and high tower and stronghold and 
Lord, we need that reality. And Lord, I just want to declare with David from Psalm 18 that I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. That you are my rock. That you are my fortress. That that you are my deliverer. You are my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. That you are my shield and the horn of my salvation. You are my stronghold. And Lord, I want to call upon you. You who are worthy to be praised. And I will be saved from all of my enemies. Whether it be pride, or lust, or fear, or anxiety. Lord, whatever the enemies of my soul may be, You are my salvation. So Lord, let us hide ourselves in You. And would You be our rock of refuge in these days in which we live. We do love You. We just give You all the praise and the glory. In Your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening. 